Hi, I'm Chris Cottonor, executive producer of the DSR Network. We've been incredibly busy here over the past month. With the launch of TNR's Daily Blast, we now produce 10 shows covering foreign policy, national security, domestic politics, cyber and tech, legal, and much more. We've also just launched our redesigned website at thedsrnetwork.com. With all this content, there has never been a better time to become a member. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for nearly all of our shows, early access to episodes, enhanced show notes, and access to our exclusive DSR Slack community. Membership is just $7 per month or $70 per year. To become a member, please visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy. Thank you very much for your support. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to a special edition of DSR. Uh, As those of you who are regular listeners know, when big news happens, we try to get smart people to make us smarter about that news, and we are very fortunate today um, to have two of our favorite smart people to talk a little bit about yesterday's Supreme Court decision to accept the immunity case later in April and what that might mean uh, and maybe, you know, what kind of emotional impact it had on us. Uh, We are joined today by Ambassador Norm Eisen, who's a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and the founder and chair of the State's United Democracy Center and a legal analyst for CNN. How are you doing, Norm? Well, um, I've had better 24-hour periods in my life, but always doing well when I'm with David and Allison. Well, th- well, glad we could help you. And I did view this, frankly, as a bit of a therapy session. Norm has tipped our hand that our other wonderful guest is Allison Gill, who is the owner of MSW Media and the host of Jack, a special counsel podcast, The Daily Beans, cl- and Clean Up on Aisle 45. How are you feeling today, Allison? Uh, my dreams are dead, uh, David. That's how I'm <laughs> feeling today. <laughs> I had a whole dream scenario that included uh, a denial of an application for stay. Everything was in place. We were right up to the line and then dashed by the Supreme Court. We're already breaking the uh, we're already breaking the fourth wall of podcasting by launching right in. But, you know, um, I had a bet. (laughs) I had a bet with a very distinguished Supreme Court practitioner. And every day the kept going up and he said to me before our dreams were dashed yesterday he, but there's there is positive news there is positive news it's to the 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 markets uh the hope markets have swung too bearish in response to yesterday uh but he said to me he thought there was a 65 percent chance that the supreme court was gonna 
make your dream come true and deny third on an expedited basis. And I said, no, I'll take that kosher hamburger bet. And he owes me a kosher hamburger. Well, you won. I lost. I owe Ellie Mastal a drink because I bet him this trial would go before the Republican National Convention in July. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's not that's not going to happen. Uh, we uh, we all had this um, strong reaction to yesterday because the court took a long time to reach this decision. I believe Jack Smith first asked for action on it in December. Uh, I believe that the trial will start a hundred and or that this hearing will be 183 days, almost exactly six months since he asked for it. Um, uh, and, uh, of course, you know, given Supreme Court timing and so forth, and maybe a decision by the end of June, and 88 days for Judge Chutkin, and uh, uh, three months for a trial, that gets you to the other side of the election as it is, with assuming no other delays. So that's an issue. Um, and uh, and it felt a lot to some observers like the Supreme Court very consciously interfering with the election by dragging its feet and playing into the hands of Trump, who wanted delay, delay, delay. Um, and I, you know, I say that because they could have done it earlier. They could have accepted the circuit courts, the D.C. Court of Appeals decision. They could have um, picked up the case earlier. They could have expedited it more quickly. And they chose not to do any of those things. Um, And so that seems like, you know, you have to ask why. There's no legal reason why, because there's no legal reason to have the hearing. So if there's no legal reason to have the hearing, you know, then the, 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 the reason must be political. That's my in a nutshell, take on this, and I just wanted to get it out of the way so we could devote the remaining part of the half hour to just hearing from you guys. AG, what was your gut reaction the moment you heard about it? What do you think now? Well, David, I agree with you 100%. Uh, I don't understand if uh, why they denied the cert petition in December from Jack Smith if they were going to just take it up later. Um, especially with in between, we had a very beautiful, airtight, unanimous per curiam ruling from the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals that just nailed the whole thing shut, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and again, like you, I don't understand why they didn't take it up in December. This goes back to Jack Smith wanting a January trial date and ending up with March. I think he was calculating this very scenario. Uh, and there are some situations where we make it a trial before the election if they make a decision before the end of the term, um, because, you know, it, that that uh, Judge Ludig has said he doesn't think that that's a feasible uh, thing to want. But um, others like Neil Kutyal and Randall Eliason say that it's possible if Judge Chuck can can truncate the 88 days uh, to trial. Um, that is another possibility. A lot of things have to happen exactly right. And my big fear here is that, first of all, again, no legal basis. The question that they're considering is not the question that the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals decided. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals decided if immunity attached to someone who tried to subvert the election and overstay their four-year term. But here, the Supreme Court is asking whether and to what extent a former president enjoys immunity from alleged official acts. And that, to me, doesn't sound like 
the question that was considered by the D.C. Circuit Court. So I'm a little bit confused by that. Um, but I think a lot of this has to do with arrogance. You know, I was talking to Pete Strzok, who I host one of the podcasts with, and he says, I think they'll just want to have their say because they think they're the most important. Well, they are the most, you know, it's the Supreme Court. They're the biggest, most important court in the land, but that they might want to weigh in on this uh, situation. But it's it's just very, it's just very disappointing. And I I don't see a clear way to get this trial done by the election. However, you know, Andy McCabe did tell me, uh, and Pete confirmed, DOJ policy with the 60 days prior to an election situation, that doesn't apply to the courts. And uh, so there there isn't a blackout. Investigative moves. Yep, overt investigative uh, action, right? So <clears throat> this has been in the court's hands since last year when this indictment came down. Uh, and, and maybe we'll get a trial before the election. I, I certainly hope so. I think it's necessary. Uh, and I have no understanding of why the Supreme Court granted cert and also, as you said, didn't make a more expedited uh, briefing schedule and, and oral arguments. As you said, I mean, it's two months, whereas the Supreme Court's done these things in 22 days before. So I, I don't understand that either. And, and the only conclusion I can draw is that they're helping Trump. Bush v. Gore was four days. Four days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's 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 possible to do it much less, and you know, just the question that they're raising here, Norm, you know, about alleged official acts, and as some people have pointed out, uh, the 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 uh, Jack Smith has essentially said there are no official acts involved here um, because these are just crimes, and they're out of the area that he should have been dealing with. Uh, but it does raise the possibility that we're going to end up going through some kind of hearing process trying to determine which of the acts involved are official or not, which could be yet another set of delays. But I don't want to deprive you of the therapeutic benefit of this, Norm. You know, Well, that was my question to Norm, too. It's exactly that, because I'm worried that the Supreme Court, with their weird open-ended question, could remand this back to Judge Chutkin, who would then have to render a decision, which can then be appealed all the way again up to the Supreme Court. I have enjoyed my um, uh, therapy, um, but I'm going to emancipate myself now from Freud and um, share some good news. Okay. I don't want, obviously, this was not the order that any of us wanted. And it would have been great uh, to have a different order. Uh, and, but I think that we need to uh, focus uh, on the possibilities that this case could still move. Part of that is making unmistakably clear to the Supreme Court that it is on them. So I'm just, while, you know, uh, we were talking, I got a text from a reporter, who is to blame? The Supreme Court will be to blame if they delay this case. I think the benchmark is the Nixon, 16 days, as I wrote in MSNBC last night in my crash op-ed, both of you know, what the two of you are to podcasts, I am to op-eds. So we had one out, you know, ready. This is how prepared I was. One thing to be intellectually prepared, I knew it was coming. I pre-wrote. Uh, emotionally, it is disappointing. Um, but 
it can still go to trial. So I'm firmly in the school. I'm a trial lawyer myself. I know how these uh, these things work. Tanya Chutkin can shrink down those 88 days. Um, the the uh, Supreme Court can decide this case as they did in U.S. v. Nixon, 16 days from the argument in that expedited case, 16 days from argument to an opinion. We'll see if they do. If they don't, it's on them and on nobody else. That's point one. Point two, to some extent, we're um, we're asking the wrong question because it can at least half wrong. Because the question is not just what does it mean for Jack Smith's trial, but what does it mean for the original sin of election interference? The Alvin Bragg 2016 election interference case that is set to go to trial on March 25th. I have been bullish on that case from day one. It is more important than ever. It is the gateway drug to what happened in 2020. In some ways, it is a clearer case of election interference because it may have made more of a difference. Um, And it is a strong case. It's a case that carries jail time. And I do think as we kind of keep one eye on the Jack Smith case, we have to keep the Alvin Bragg case in focus. I think we have to ask ourselves, what happens when Judge McAfee when Judge McAfee, if he follows the law and the facts, he will not disqualify Fonnie Wills. There's not an evidentiary basis for it. Then you have another case. What happens to that case? Jack Smith, I'm going to just say it. Jack Smith made some mistakes. And, you know, I think one of those mistakes was acceding to the stay that was requested by Trump. He should have, he thought he made a calculated risk. He thought he was going to get that case in the Supreme Court on expedited consideration. So he's like, okay, I'll stay. No, he should have ferociously argued Midland Asphalt. And he should, which is a case that says no interlocutory appeal unless you have an express constitutional immunity. There was none here. The Supreme, uh, the uh, rather the D.C. Circuit spent the first <laughs> dozen plus pages of its opinion struggling with Midland Asphalt. If Smith had argued it from the beginning, he would have put the wind in the sails. So it's not too late to make a Midland Asphalt argument in Georgia and say, Judge McAfee, don't allow that case, that immunity case to slow you down. So I think we have to and then same in uh, Mar-a-Lago is going to be tough because you have a a very pro-Trump judge there. But, you know, I think we need to look at the slowdown of the Jack Smith case. Bear in mind that it's not terminal. Send the message to the Supreme Court, guys It's and gals, it's on you. Um, I think the fact that you did not have dissents from the three liberals suggests that Roberts has crafted a compromise here. He has the power to move this case briskly. I think if, you know, so that may be an explanation. But look at Alvin Bragg and look at Georgia. Those are cases where you could proceed. And there's no immunity argument in the 2016 election interference case. So 
those that's the good news. I'm always extracting the good news. I've had my therapy. There's plenty of other ways to continue to demand accountability. Well, you know, Norm's a very compelling lawyer, A.G., but I don't buy any of that. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, I think his points are right, but I don't feel any better. Um, I, I think another of the mistakes Jack Smith made, uh, I, I think his biggest Can mistake I guess? was... T- Okay. Yes, I, Can I, I guess? also want to guess. Uh, yeah, I also guess. My guess, guess is that he brought that case to Florida instead of D.C. for the documents. That, yeah, that's correct. Or D.C. or New Jersey, because there was a Bedminster tie. Uh, yeah, of course. But D.C. was like a no-brainer. Um, and, you know, where, where, does, where does it leave us? Well, you know, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if uh, Judge Eileen Cannon, uh, heading for a place on the tr- next Trump Supreme Court appointment, um, you know, you know, says, well, the, you know, there are immunity issues here. I'm just going to wait. I, I, you know, I, I'm not moving forward till I know where the Supreme Court comes out on immunity. Um, and, you know, you get further delays on that, which, you know, to me as a national security specialist, that's the case that I would want resolved most quickly. Um, and, and it's not, I know that's not the legal perspective or political perspective. Slam dunk case goes to his fitness for president. There's no politics involved in it. It's not about an election. The official action issues, it, it, that, is, that is a superb case, but you're not getting it, David. If I, no, was- no, I, I, know, I, know, I know you're not. And the other point that I make with regard to that case is there's a national security risk associated with not getting it resolved, certainly if he ends up again being president. But my question goes back to norms cheerleading there how do you feel now allison do you feel better he brought something up that i was going to ask him about he headed me off at the pass because i was going to ask him if these types of orders the one that uh took the stay application and treated it as a petition for cert and granted cert and set an expedited schedule i was going to ask if those types of orders have can have dissents on them and that was going to be my question because we didn't get any thing where, you know, sometimes it'll be like Clarence Thomas would have said no and Kavanaugh concurs but has feelings. But there was no, I didn't see any dissent where any uh, liberal judge said, you know, Katanji Brown Jackson concurs but would have set a more brisk briefing schedule or something. So the lay down, uh, the lay down is on the positive side, and I do have a methodological bias towards positivity. Again, I'm being honest, this was not the order I wanted from the Supreme Court. There's a number of indications, the absence of liberal dissent. I think the buzzwords, there's a debate going on, Jack Goldsmith is on the other side, but I think that if you look at that question presented, where it talks about alleged, there's only one set of allegations in this case. That is the allegations in the indictment. And I think the reference to deciding based on alleged is, can you decide on the papers? So I think that that was a negotiated negotiated, uh, part of a heavily worked question presented, and it's equally possible, probably the right thing to do, like a motion to dismiss. You don't have an evidentiary hearing. You look at the look at the indictment, okay, based on this indictment. But doesn't the Supreme Court have to treat the indictment as fact? 
well, no, the Supreme Court could say we're not accepting the indictment. We're remanding for an evidentiary hearing. But I think the Supreme Court could equally well say that in questions of this kind, we're going to make a determination based on the allegations in the indictment. And just like that was done for Mark Meadows in in the removal uh, in Georgia, determine that these are, in criminal cases, we'll decide based on the indictment. These are not official acts. They're not predominantly, you know, that's other words that are helpful for us, whether and to what extent, because they may be setting up to say, this is not a sufficient quantum of officialness. So, and then they also limit the question to former presidents. That's good news for us, right? It's a much narrower field of action than if they were going to address the immunity for sitting presidents as Tanya Chutkin did. So there's, it's not I just want to ask you a I just want to ask you a question here. Do you think there is any quantum of officialness in calling up a Georgia official and saying put your thumb on the scales or in trying to orchestrate um, um a, a broader scheme involving false electors? Because it seems to me given what the role of the president is as described in the constitution there is no quantum of officialness there zero well just to play devil's advocate i don't think it's enough i don't think this nexus of facts is enough and i think for jack smith to win at the supreme court he'll have michael Dreeben, the most brilliant and experienced criminal law supreme court specialist in the history of our country arguing for him in order for them to win at the Supreme Court, they're going to have to very narrowly cabin the imagination of what this case is. Because the key votes, Kavanaugh, even Roberts in the middle, uh, are concerned about unduly crimping presidential power. So the point is, even if there is some, look, if DOJ is allowed to have a civil rights division that can send people to look at state elections under the notion of the presidential authority to supervise the executive branch, there's an argument. It's not enough. That's the line that I would defend. Can I ask you a question, Norm? Uh, This is a a Supreme Court type question because because I am a party animal. I spent a Friday night writing up a mock order on the application for stay. And I based it on Trump v. Thompson's order. Uh, where they didn't grant the stay. Trump v. Benny Thompson, because Trump was trying to say that former presidents have executive privilege and was trying to block documents from coming from the National Archives to the January 6th committee. And the D.C. Circuit Court said, no, um, you know, we don't, we don't even have to decide whether or not former presidents can ev- invoke executive privilege because the need for these documents by the January 6th committee countervails your argument. So even if you were a sitting president and had the incumbent executive authority to invoke the, the privilege, it doesn't matter. And the Supreme Court came back and said, you're right. We're denying your stay because we don't have dicta here uh, on this partic- specific question. And in this case, the D.C. Circuit didn't rule on whether or not any president has immunity over some or all official acts. They ruled very specifically on the facts of this case, whether a president enjoys immunity um, for uh, crimes that have to do with trying to subvert the election and staying past the four-year term. 
And so I don't understand how they even have dicta here. Uh, uh, maybe they can just sort of do whatever they want. Yes, they don't have to accept the question. They don't have to accept the question. Okay, well, I vote against that, and I don't want that to be the case anymore. (laughs) I've decided. Uh, I don't think, I think it is. How am I supposed to make predictions and bet people drinks if I don't, if I can't go by by what's happened in the past? I'll tell you what, uh, I saw that Ellie said, he tweeted last night, you know, you'll never be disappointed by assuming this this Supreme Court will do the wrong thing. And it is not uh, it is not out of the realm of possibility that this gets resolved. The odds are against it. But there are, there is the New York case, there is the Georgia case. And I think we need to continue to push forward uh, in our the three of us in our public analysis and commentary. Um, and we need to emphasize that New York case. That is a good case and it carries jail time. People do not understand that it's a good case. It's an election interference case and it carries uh, jail time. 34 felonies. Each of those felonies is a year and a third to four years is the sentencing range. And Trump is an excellent candidate. Uh, and uh, and unrepentant, and um, uh, 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 and and I don't think Judge Mershon is going to be looking too warmly upon him. And Alvin Bragg is going to persuade that court and the court of opinion, public opinion, that it is an election interference case and it is the gateway drug. People are going to see that case very differently as that trial unfolds. Yeah, so in the past 24 hours, people have started to see that trial dramatically differently as they've been, you know, planning their coverage for the rest of this year. Um, by the way, I, you know, I'm also one of these column people, and I have to write a couple of columns a week for the Daily Beast, and um, uh, I have to write one on this. So this is extremely helpful to me um, uh, as, as, as we go forward, and I'm learning a lot. Uh, but I want to shift the question here pull back the camera a little bit, get the broad focus, and turn to the question that Allison and I always turn to. They, you know, And you know, we do this in the best of spirit, and I have the hugest respect for Allison, but we don't quite agree all the time on it. And that is, you know, you talked, Norm, about the mistakes of Jack Smith. You know, now, in retrospect, as we look at this case and see when it was brought, and see the delay tactics that were involved, and see how the Supreme Court has been involved. We then look at you know DOJ's movement on this to wait after the House committee as too slow, and there is this broader critique of Merrick Garland. Shouldn't he have moved on the obstruction cases? Shouldn't he have you know brought cases and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I've seen a lot of that also, uh, and participated in some discussions on that in the past 24 hours. Where do you come out, Allison? Well, um, first, I just want to let everybody know that I have vociferously protested several things that Merrick Garland has done. I know I am viewed as a, uh, a hopium peddler that capes for Merrick Garland on every occasion that I can. Uh, but there were a, a lot of things along the way, and I've brought them up as they happened. His appeal to the Department of uh, for, for the Department of Justice to represent E. Jean Carroll, for example, I was against that. He eventually changed his mind. 
uh, his fight to keep the Bill Barr memo sealed, the Bill Barr memo that let Trump off the hook for the Mueller obstruction. I didn't understand that. I was against that. Over a year ago on the Jack podcast, Andy McCabe and I were vehemently against appointing Robert Hur as the special counsel to investigate Biden's handling of classified for the very reason of the outrageous stuff that he put in his report, his politicization of it. And I called for a special counsel in the January 6th investigation back in 2021 because I like special counsels. That's just my thing. But there were several reasons for that, particularly transparency. We get a full report. We get declination decisions. We get Congress notified if Merrick Garland stops something from happening. Uh, and so I, I called for that way back in 2021. So far, I think Norm I think Norm and I will back you for attorney general when you make when you make the move now based on but when I when I defend Merrick Garland, it is specifically on the basis of people who say that he waited 18 months or two years to begin an investigation to the top of the coup. J.P. Cooney wanted to top down this thing before Merrick Garland even got there. And there were some Trump holdovers in the FBI and the Department of Justice, namely Dan Tuono at the FBI Washington field office and a guy named Mike Sherwin, who helped you know, commute the sentence of Roger Stone and get Mike Flynn off the hook. And he went on 60 Minutes and talked about seditious conspiracy. And then he was basically resigned before he could be sanctioned by this DOJ. They stopped J.P. Cooney from introducing that top-down task force in early 2021. Also, Department of Justice, before Merrick Garland got there, opened an investigation in the DOJ IG. We know the day that Monaco got there, Lisa Monaco in April, she actually expanded the search warrant for Rudy Giuliani's seized electronic devices. It was just for 2018 and 2019, and she expanded it to include, include January 6, 2021. That is an overt investigative step into the top of the coup, and she was overtly subpoenaing people at the top of the coup as early as September 2021. Now, yes, there were several witnesses who had not yet been interviewed by Jack Smith or by Merrick Garland by the time the January 6th hearings happened. Uh, but DOJ was able to get a lot of things the January 6th committee couldn't. Eastman's phone, uh, Clark's phone. The DOJ just a couple months ago was able to get Scott Perry's phone after a elongated battle uh, over uh, the speech or debate privilege. So uh, that's just a fact that they did try to investigate the top of the coup and did start earlier than 18 months or two years before. I am just dealing in facts there. That doesn't mean that I approve of every single thing that Merrick Garland has done. And I agree with the errors that uh, uh, the Jack Smith errors that Norm talks about. And I do think, and I talked about this early on, again, I'm not walking anything back uh, with my hope peddling, uh, but we said early on, Pete Strzok and I, that there needs to be uh, whether whatever's going on behind the scenes, we can't know. And that that vacuum is going to be filled with disinformation and anger. But there needs to be more discussion out front from the attorney general about this is a hair on fire for alarm fire. And we need to put all of our resources on it and, you know, maybe talk more to the American people about what was being done as opposed to oh, we get around to learning about some stuff through subpoenas or during your testimony in October of 2021, which is when I started calling for a special counsel. Um, so I think things could have been done differently and better. I will never know to what extent or if a different attorney general was there and did things differently, if we'd be in any better position than we are now. Uh, but I'm not going to tear down an institution, uh, you know, while legitimately having complaints about certain things that the that the attorney general has done. And I can't know if somebody would have done it better or worse, but there were mistakes made and I acknowledge them and I've acknowledged them this entire time. So Norm, we have about two minutes left. 
three minutes, two, three minutes, you can provide your perspective. I think that um, history will adjudicate the question you've asked, David. I think the more important utilization of our facilities of judgment on these questions now is to um, apply them to the uh, people and the institutions who can have the most going forward impact. So looking out the windshield, not through the rear view mirror. Um, the, it, that's why it's important because Smith is still um, uh, in the driver's seat. It is very important to focus on what he's done right and what he's done wrong. I do see uh, the Supreme Court now as being the most important actors. And so to the extent that I have a bit of breath, bandwidth, or time on uh, DSR, I'm really focused on saying, Supreme Court, if you don't do this, it will be your fault that Donald Trump has not been brought to democratic accountability, whatever the outcome before a jury of his peers. And uh, that's where my focus is on um, whether the Supreme Court steps up and decides this case quickly, like in U.S. v. Nixon, or is culpable for further endangering our democracy. Um, very helpful, concise, much appreciated. The only thing I would say to that is, as we were all in a flurry of emails and tweets and texts with our friends in the wake of this last night, uh, I did have an exchange with Dahlia Lithwick in which we were going over some of this, and her response was she's thought about it, and she has concluded they just don't care. Uh, they don't. The Supreme Court doesn't care what we think, uh, particularly those on the right on the court. So uh, we shall see whether public opinion matters or not. Surely they knew this was going to be the reaction to what they did. Uh, we'll keep on it. I know AG will keep on it on her podcast. I know Norm will keep on it uh, in his writings and his TV appearances. Uh, and hopefully we can reconvene periodically uh, for more therapy and maybe maybe some uh, bits of good news every so often. At least I hope so. Um, until then, thank you, AG. Thank you, Norm. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And bye-bye.